I'm not sure if they agreed with me. I'm like, well, you know, uh, that was a that was a very, very, very good song. I hope all of you agree that that was an incredible song. The the message behind that song, um, yeah, that's that is powerful stuff. I hope that that sinks. Let that sink in with you this morning. Um, so thankful to be with you guys here this morning. Uh, this is a, a special Sunday for lots of reasons. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but summer is actually officially over here in a couple days. Fall officially begins. If you have kids in school or grandkids in school, all of that schedule is in full swing now, is it not? Like it is ramped up and it's as busy as it will ever get all season. And what's really awesome um, is, is just the fact that we get the privilege of gathering here this morning. We're so glad that you could join us here. I don't know if you know this or understand this because it's, it's, a, it's a thing you come to per se, but for us that, that are here all the time and those of us that serve here and even, even work here, uh, you are a blessing to us. Your presence here and online this morning is not taken for granted in any way, shape, or form. We love you. And we are so thankful that you have gathered here this morning, that God called you to be here this morning, that you listened to God's still small voice that got you out of bed this morning, got you ready this morning, and brought you here to this place. Now, if you're from here, then you would know that the last few weeks we've been mentioning today is a, a, something called a Ma National Back to Church Sunday. And there's upwards of 40,000 churches across the country this morning kind of preaching on a similar topic, a similar theme, and just an opportunity. But really, honestly, every day is an opportunity to reach out to others and bring them in. So if you're visiting, whether in person or online, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we welcome to anybody that maybe is returning from an ex extended absence. We know people have been sick and, and things like that. And it's awesome to have you back with with us here this morning. And if you're just joining us online, maybe you join us online every week. We're so thankful you join us online every week. We know dozens and dozens of people join us online every single week. And so we're thankful for your presence, even though you can't physically be with us. We look forward to one day that happening. We're so excited for that thing to occur in your life that allows you to join us in person. The reality is this, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome, and this is going to be a great, great morning. Let's pray. Father God, as we dive into your word this morning, let your word be what is heard in your house this morning. Father, as the, the shirt I have on represents together is so much better. Father, you created us to be in community together. There's never been an option for that. And Father, we long to be together with you one day as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This church, and quite honestly, every Christ-centered, Bible-believing church should be here on this earth to, to help support you to seek and seek the loss and to help to support those that have found Jesus in their family, their spiritual needs, to help you discover what the God's word has to say about himself, about his plan for your life. The first step is to help you encounter the creator of the universe in such a way that the spirit moves you to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And that will always be our primary, first and foremost goal as a Bible-believing, Jesus-honoring church. 
But then we got to take it a step further. We've got to challenge you to grow closer to him, to go closer to each other. We've got to challenge you to allow Jesus to take full control over your life, to learn how to love him and love others the same way that Jesus loves each and every one of us. You see, the church is not a building. Now, I know you've heard that forever. That's the English language that has done that to us. Before that, it really wasn't seen that way. English is what converted the church into just a building. The church is made up of the people. Wherever we gather, it would not matter what building. People like you, people who are looking for purpose, looking for meaning in life, looking for real, authentic relationships in life, looking for support, looking for encouragement, looking for hope, our theme for today. The basis of our Christian faith is a bold and fearless hope that God is real. Do you understand that the world refuses to admit that? That is what our hope is in. That he sent his son Jesus to this earth to save anyone who is willing to believe and call upon and trust in his name and his name alone. And that he, Jesus, is currently at work in our lives today. I hope that things don't have to remain the same today as they will be tomorrow. As a matter of fact, if you were in Jesus, something I'm rather fond of saying is simply this. We can't remain the same. If you're in Christ, you cannot remain the same. You will never, ever, ever become who God wants you to be by remaining who you are today. Every day, he wants you to change. He wants to change you. We have a hope that broken things can be mended. A hope that we are loved deeply by our creator Maybe this morning you have come here in need of some hope. We all are in need of some hope. It's possible, it is possible, that the weight of this world is a little bit more than you can handle. We've all been there. Maybe, maybe you've come here today because you feel like there's nowhere else to turn. You've come to the right place. That's all I can tell you. A man by the name of Timothy George, he was a pastor and author from a generation or two before us, said during his time at Divinity School, he had a professor that shared this story with him. He was a preacher in Louisiana during the Great Depression, and electricity was just starting to get to that part of the country. He was in a small rural church that literally had one light bulb hanging in the sanctuary. Has anybody ever been in a church like that? Because I have. My grandma's church was that way, one bulb hanging right in the middle. My mom's shaking her head. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. He was preaching away one evening in the Sunday evening service. In the middle of the service, the electricity went out, pitch black in the building. The young preacher said he didn't know what to say. He just kind of stumbled around, fumbling, trying to figure out what to do. And someone from the back, an elderly deacon in the back of the church cried out, Preach on, preacher! We can still see Jesus in the dark. Yeah, <laughs> this world can be a dark, dark place. The darkness of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and many more issues have become commonplace in every part of every community in our society. Many of us in this room and online have been touched by this present darkness. To steal a phrase from a popular book series a while back. Sometimes, that's the only place we seem to be able to see Jesus, is in the dark. Because his light alone shines in the darkest of nights. 
In the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself specifically as the light of the world, John 8, 12. It is Jesus who both illuminates our lives and exposes all that needs to be restored. The illumination and healing hope of Jesus can be found throughout Scripture. But today, we're going to look at three specific points together, three specific passages together. First of all, that God has a specific plan for your life. Second of all, that he loves you with a never-ending love. And third, that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. For these three reasons and many, many more, we can possess hope in this life and in the life yet to come. So here we go. Hope in God's plan for your life. Turn to the book of Jeremiah if you've got that with you. Jeremiah 29 specifically is where we'll be, but turn to the book of Jeremiah. Go ahead. Take your time getting there as I I begin with this part. You were created by God. If you've ever thought anything else, if you thought your mom and dad did it, if you thought what, if you've ever thought anything else in your life, no, it's not true. God created you. And he created you on purpose and he created you for a purpose. Please listen carefully because I don't know where you come from. No matter the circumstances around your birth, no matter the circumstances beyond your physical creation on this earth, whatever happened to allow you to come into existence here, God did that on purpose. He alone knows you. He formed you in your mother's womb. No matter what has happened in life up to this point, he has brought you to this point right now. And he absolutely has a plan for your life. Whether or not you've realized that doesn't matter. You can choose to join him on that path at any point in time. Some of the greatest questions that human beings have ever asked continue to be asked even in 2022. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? You see... God's the only one that knows those questions, the answers to those questions. And his answers alone give us the hope that we need. One of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, definitely in the Old Testament, is from the book of Jeremiah. And I'm going to be very, 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 very honest with you. It is very often taken completely out of context and applied to mean something that it was never, ever intended to mean. This passage was a part of a letter, a letter that was written by the prophet Jeremiah to the surviving exiles that had been taken from Jerusalem and relocated into Babylon. It seems like God had abandoned them, at least that's how they felt. They were questioning God's faithfulness to them. And if you go on and you read the rest of Jeremiah's account, as well as any of the other prophets in the Old Testament, you could have seen that all of this exile could have been avoided if they were just faithful to their God. But in reality, the people of God had abandoned their God, and so they were being punished. Jeremiah's letter, though, is an encouragement, an encouragement to the people of God that their exile was not an accident. And even within the chaos, God has a plan specifically for them. That's where we come in. You may or may not realize this, but we're starting to really live in a world that some might describe as a bit chaotic. The last few years might have seemed a little bit of chaos, increased level of chaos, increased level of uncertainty, of fear, of anxiety, of hopelessness. 
and nearly everyone. Those apart from God in today's world are really struggling with hopeness. But unfortunately, even within the family of God, there are people who are beginning to lose or have lost hope as well. And we should never do that because our hope is not in this world. The words of God through the prophet Jeremiah speak directly to the Hebrew nation. That's what's important. Who once again find themselves displaced in a foreign land, something they'd experienced before. But there's hope in his words for us today as well. Jeremiah 29, we're going to start in verse 4 is where we'll begin. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers... You too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams and encourage, they encourage you, to, you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now there's a couple of insights in that first section of God's word for us today. Now, the very end of what I just read, if you've been with us, we've studied the book of Luke. We just concluded that last week. In the last three weeks, we talked about the end times. We talked about Jesus' second coming and what he had to say about it. Those words from Jeremiah sound an awful lot like the words of Jesus, warning us constantly to watch out for false prophets. Don't be fooled by those claiming that Jesus has come or that he is a here. Do not be led astray. That's the same theme that comes out of Jeremiah's words as his people long for the day when they can return home to Israel. There were those amongst that group of people that wanted to create an uprising to rebel against the Babylonians. There were those that wanted to try to escape captivity and make it back to Jerusalem. Those among them claiming that God was going to rise up and defeat the Babylonians. And that's the exact opposite of the words God had given to Jeremiah to share with his people. You see, God had another plan, another purpose for their lives during this trial. So I want us to think about how those words might apply to us today. Listen to them again. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city that I brought you to. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You see, Jeremiah was reminding them to keep their culture alive, to keep their belief in God alive, to keep procreating and have children and raise them up in the ways of God so that faith would not die. Do you think God has the same message for us today? To keep having kids and bring them up in the ways of Christ and teach them about Jesus so that they can teach others about Jesus and keep bringing people to Jesus as long as this earth is in existence as we know it. You see, it is such an important thing for us to live God-honoring lives wherever God places you in your life, whether it's here in Brazil or on the other side of the world. See, the difference that we can make by demonstrating his love first among ourselves and then showing his love to those around us, to our community, it just might change their eternity. Then we come upon maybe the most famous verse in all of the Old Testament, Beginning in verse 10, this is what the Lord says. 
When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you home back to this place. And then the money verse, if you will. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place which I carried you into exile. See, in this moment, God is speaking to the Hebrew nation, to the Israelites. He places a very specific hope in the heart of his people. In this case, he actually gives them a number, 70 years. And wouldn't you know that 70 years after this was given to the the Hebrews in Babylon, they were released back to Israel. Shocking. He was exactly right. You see, he has not done with them yet. He just needed them to endure this trial, and he has a plan for them to prosper and not to harm them. God was working for a better future for the people of Israelite. They had not been forgotten. Now, in the minds of the Israelites, this seemed impossible in the current circumstances. From man's perspective, there was no hope. They had been conquered by the largest empire to ever rule the world to date. They weren't just going to give up. They weren't just going to send them back for no apparent reason. But wait, they did later on. You see, because our God was faithful to them. The world today might have you down. It might seem like there is no hope for you in your circumstances, in your trials. So I want you to listen to this verse again. Now, I've argued for a long time that this verse was strictly really to pertain to those Israelites. But as I read this verse again, I heard somebody else's words. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Now, does Jesus know the plans he has for you right now today? Absolutely, he does. This verse hasn't changed. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Um, Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, a lot of people take this out of context to mean things it does not mean. Uh, Does Jesus plan for us to prosper in his presence one day? Do we have an eternal hope in his presence one day? Absolutely we do. This verse hasn't changed. This truth hasn't changed. Then you will call on me and come to me and pray and I will listen to you. You will seek me when you, and find me when you seek me. Gee, did Jesus say anything like that? Seek and you will find. Ask and you will be given. Knock in the door. Boy, that sounds a whole lot like this same God in Jeremiah, doesn't it? Hmm, maybe this verse is really relevant to our lives today. You see, wherever you find yourself, I want to encourage you that God has a plan for your life. And when you pursue God and you begin to live in obedience to God, then you can rest assured that God's purpose for your life will begin to be realized. And he will begin to produce wonderful fruits in and through your life. God has a plan for your life. And you can put your hope in him and his love and his care for his creation is never ending. And it is unfailing. See, there's hope in God's never ending love as well. The truest thing about you potentially, the truest thing about you is simply this, that you are loved by God. I don't think we can grasp how powerful the love of God genuinely 
is. Some might say it's the most powerful force on planet Earth. The Apostle Paul appeals to this power in the love of God as he writes to an early church in the small city of Rome. Similar to Israel, living in a foreign land of Babylon, God's people were in the midst of the sinful foreign culture of Rome. A very, very practical book for us to read today as we live in a very similar culture. It was a difficult place to be. There was persecution. There was suffering. But Paul wanted to bring hope into the lives of the believers there. So in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 37, Paul writes these words. No, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither present, nor future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is reminding these hopeless, defeated people that they are more than conquerors. Now that word in our world doesn't mean as much as it would have in theirs. These people lived in Rome. They know what a conqueror is. Rome had conquered the world. <laughs> so either the people in Rome were on the winning side or the losing side, but they know what it means to be conquered. Paul is telling them that no matter your circumstances, in that moment, you are not defeated. No matter how bad things may seem or how hopeless your situation may be, you are an overcomer. But why? Why does Paul make this claim? What gives him the right to do this? It, it is because of God's unending, never-failing love for them. He is convinced that nothing can separate him nor anyone else in Christ from the love of God. He is convinced that demons cannot do it. He's convinced the depths of despair cannot separate people from the love of God. He's so convinced not even death can separate people from the love of God. God's love is prevailing. It is overwhelming. It is so potent that it is ever present and never ending. God loves us no matter what. He loves us when we love him back. And he loves us when we fail. And that as well. Paul wrote these words in, to the same people in Rome, chapter 5, a little earlier, verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so if you've ever wondered, how can Jesus love me? I don't even know him. Well, he knows you. And he loved you before you ever come to love him back. This is the sacrificial and universal love that Paul is referring to in the book of Romans. A Greek word that's used there is the word agape. Many of you have heard that type of love before. Selfless, sacrificial love. The kind of love that gives without needing, expecting, or even wanting necessarily anything in return. The kind of love that the recipient is never worthy of. God loves us in spite of our current condition, whatever that may be. God's agape love for us caused him to offer his one and only son on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins so that we can have a new life. And this sacrifice was once and for all and is available to anyone who is willing to call upon the name of Jesus and seek him as their savior and their Lord. 
His hope is not only found in his plan for us, but our hope can be found in his love for us as well. There is nothing that can separate us from that love of God that he has through Jesus Christ. And that truth can empower us to face any challenge that life may serve up. You may know someone right now that feels they can never be loved by Jesus. Would you please take them to that verse in Romans? Nothing can separate them from that love. Lastly, there's hope in God's strength. Living the Christian life is not an easy task. Jesus never promised it would be. As a matter of fact, he said quite the opposite. Living counterculturally, loving our enemies, giving generously, serving faithfully, avoiding sin obediently, these things can be difficult. The way of Jesus is not something we can do on our own. If we try, and many of us have, then we're going to find ourselves exhausted and burnt out and probably give up on the whole thing. We must rely on God's strength alone to accomplish this. Paul speaks to this hope, the specific hope that we can have when writing to the early church in Philippi. This is from the book of Philippians. You can go ahead and turn there. Chapter 4 in the book of Philippians, almost the very end of the Bible. Again, the surrounding context of this passage is the following. It is persecution. It is suffering. It is imprisonment. As a matter of fact, as Paul writes these words, he sits in chains because of his faith. And you might think that he would be hopeless after being in jail for three years. However, it is quite the opposite Paul pins this letter overflowing with hope to those in the free world around him. Let me take you to the last verse first, and then we'll back up. Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength is the way I prefer to read that verse, because that's who the hymn is. Now, this is another text, much like Jeremiah 29, 11, that is completely taken out of context, completely. Paul is not saying, I can climb mountains, win races, pass tests, make the sail, marry the girl, conquer the foe, catch the fish, bag the deer, even shoot under par. Paul doesn't care about any of those things. So if you have that sticker somewhere, so you can, it's not what it's for. Paul has just outlined throughout the book of Philippians the trials he is facing. He encourages his audience, his readers, in chapter 4, verse 3, to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Remember, he's in prison. In verse 6, he says, hey, guys, don't be anxious about anything. Remember, he's in prison. How can he say that? Paul doesn't know what we are going through now in our world. A lot of people say that about Scripture. Well, they don't know what it's like today. You're right. Paul did not have a clue what we would be going through today. But what's really awesome, if you've never thought about it this way, don't let it confuse you. It's a very simple concept, I promise. As Paul was pinning these words, the Spirit of God was inspiring him to pin these words. And as he was pinning these words, the Spirit of God that was inspiring Paul to pin those words was right here at the exact same time with you right now, knowing exactly what you are going through right now. You might not understand that fully, omnipresent God, but God, that same God that's sitting with you right now, that's a part of your life right now, was sitting with Paul in that jail cell right then, writing to you. Please understand that. Paul didn't have a clue, but God absolutely knew. See, Paul's just been locked up in a Roman prison for three years. 
He doesn't know about stress or anxiety or hopelessness. He's been shipwrecked, venomous, snake bitten, and now he's awaiting an appearance before Caesar. And he tells us not to be anxious. <laughs> you can compare your story, that's fine. But he doesn't actually do that. He doesn't tell us not to be anxious. He shows us how not to be anxious. See, in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, just after that, he says this, But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Here's how. Pray about everything. And then allow the peace of God to guard your hearts and your minds. You see, we can't do it alone, church. There is hope only in his strength. But Paul's not done with this yet. He goes on after telling us to, to rejoice always, to not be anxious about anything, to pray continually. Then Paul goes, oh, and do me a favor. Think about these things. Here's what you should be dwelling on. See, God knows if you and I dwell on the things of this world, if your news station is always on your TV at home every time you sit down, then you are dwelling on the things of this world. And the things of this world will weigh you down. They will crush your hope. Paul says in Romans 4, 8, this way. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, is anything on the news true? Let's just be honest. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. How much better would your life be? How much better would your mental state be if you thought of these things instead of what the world is trying to get you to focus on? Then Paul goes on to tell us that he has learned to be content in whatever circumstances the world throws at him. Remember, Paul's in jail. When we pray this way, when we focus on these things, then we learn to be content and we rely upon God alone. Then and only then can you and I stand with Paul and say confidently, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When we become followers of Jesus, the Spirit of God actually takes up residence inside of us. The Spirit dwells in us, and it becomes the engine, the motivating force behind our faithful obedience. It inspires us to be obedient to our God. When we feel like we can't forgive someone, the Spirit of God is the one that gives us the strength to set them free. And in doing so, we, we set ourselves free as well from the bitterness and anger that surrounds that lack of forgiveness. When we want to defeat a, a sinful pattern in our life, a sinful, sinful behavior in our lives, we don't have to do that alone. We have God's spirit, God's strength within us to help us overcome those things. When we want to make a difference in the world by serving those around us, we can do all things, not because of our hard work or our strength, but because of the work God has done and is doing in each of us. As we close today, if you have one of these, a smartphone, get it out for me, please. Okay, get it out. Have it on your lap. You're going to need it here in just a moment. So just, just hang on to it. Set it right there on your lap. You're, you're going to get everybody. Get it out. Don't, don't pretend you're going to need this. I promise. As I was searching to finish this message, I was looking for an illustration. There's 
thousands of websites out there that have sermon illustrations, things like that. I enjoy reading those things. I really did. I looked for more than an hour, probably closer to two, just reading stories. Oh my goodness, there were stories to tell, inspirational stories from all over the world of the ways in which God had offered hope to specific people that needed to overcome specific things, whatever it was they were facing. Now, as I read those stories, some of those stories made me cry. I know that's a shocker to some of you, but they did. Um, I actually have a box of tissues on the front right-hand corner of my desk, and I also have one on the bookshelf behind my desk because I frequently access them as I'm reading things like that. Some of these stories, they made me wonder. Some of the stories made me just scratch my head and go, I don't even understand what that was about and probably not going to use that. And so I was trying, God, what, what could I do? And he gave me this idea. I, I hope you'll participate. In the end, I realized that the best possible illustration to wrap this up is actually right here in the room. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is a little weird. I'm weird. Sorry. So get over it. Here's what you need to do. Whether you're the first time visitor or you've been here, you know, since the building was built, and some of you have been, um, I need you to do this for me. I need you to look around the room. I need you to look, or you're not doing it yet. I need you to look around the room, okay? I really love for you to look at people you don't recognize, don't know yet. Especially if you're new here, you don't know a lot of people, okay? Um, I know it's weird. I'm crazy. Yes, go ahead and do this. You have to do this. If you do not do this, you will miss out on what God is going to reveal to you in just a moment. So keep doing it. I need you to make some awkward stares <laughs> into people's eyes around the room. I'm being serious. You're going to miss out. Don't do it. You've got to do it. Uh, yeah, you're looking around. Just a few more. Look into those eyes, please. All right, now everybody, back up here. You thought that was awkward? You're all staring at me right now. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm up here and you're there. I get it, okay? But see, that wasn't nearly as bad as this, right? Church, here's the thing. Hope happens here because of Jesus. <laughs> now, we don't have it all together. As a matter of fact, I can confidently say that no one in this room or watching online is perfect. But what I can tell you is this. Every pair of eyes, and I pray that you looked into at least one really intently, Every pair of eyes that you looked into are the eyes of someone whom God loves. And God has a plan for that person that you looked at. As you looked into their eyes, what did you see? Did you take long enough to look into their eyes and see where they're at in life? Because their face tells you the story. Do you see hope in those eyes? Did you see some guilt maybe? Even some shame. Did you see joy in their expression? Did you see pain? You see all of those things are a reality in this room. But if we only had a mirror, we could do one more thing. Oh, wait, we do. Open your camera. Go ahead. If you've got a smartphone, don't skip. I do it. If you've got a smartphone, you know how to use the camera. Turn it on. I'm commanding you. <laughs> Once you have your camera on, flip it around so you're looking at your own face like you're taking a selfie. 
I know you've got a smartphone. I, almost every person in this room has one. And I know you know how to use a, the, the camera, grandparents. I've seen the postings of your grandkids. Don't tell me you don't know how to do it. You've got the camera. You've got it switched around so it's looking at you in the face. Look into those eyes, please. Look into those eyes on your screen. What do you see? You see, God sees a beautiful creation. Now, you might have been a little roughed up by the world. You might have made a few um, not-so-great decisions along life's way. You might even be suffering right now. But God sees you as the one he sent his son to die for. He sees you as the one he desires to spend forever eternity with. He sees you as someone who does not need to suffer through this world alone any longer. He sees someone that he loves. He sees someone that he created on purpose and for a purpose. He sees someone that needs the hope that only he can provide. Hope happens when we realize that we don't have the strength in and of ourselves to live the way of Jesus, to get through this life alone. Hope happens when we submit our lives to his leadership and allow him to give us his strength for his glory. Who do you know that you need to have their cell phone face them and you need to tell them the exact same thing as they look into that mirror? My prayer today is that everyone leaves this place in person or online filled with the spirit of God and the hope that only he can provide. I pray that each of us become more aware of God's plan, his love, and his strength that is ours through Jesus Christ. If you have not made the decision to receive that hope yet from Jesus, then today is the day. You don't need to ask any more questions. You don't need to know anything else at all. You know the truth, that God sent his son, lived a perfect life, died for you to forgive you of your sins, rose three days later so that you may rise and live with him for all eternity. If you believe that this morning and you've never made that decision, then come forward today. Do not wait. Don't wait to meet with a pastor. Don't wait to talk with someone. Come, let the spirit move you today. It's also possible that you've given up your hope. Hope can't be stolen. You've got to release it for the lies of this world. And today is the day Jesus is asking you to reclaim that hope for yourself. Use this next time period to respond to the spirit of God moving in your life today. Because hope happens here only because of Jesus Christ. Father God, as we come before you today, it's this incredible hope that we have that we don't deserve. Father, comes only through your son. You've provided this hope for us individually, and I pray that everyone has accepted that. If they have not, then I pray today is the day they accept that hope. And we can grow and disciple and, and teach them along the way. But Father, they need to respond to that hope first. 
that sacrifice you make. They need to repent of their sin and make you Lord and Savior of their life. That is the first and most important step along the path. Nothing else matters until we make that decision. But Father, so many of us today, as we looked around the room, we, we were even hesitant. We didn't want to look into other people's eyes. Father, our hope in you should give us the courage and the strength to want to look in other people's eyes so we can sense the pain, the sorrow, the grief that they're feeling so that we can take your love to them. And so if we were hesitant to look in other people's lives. That's a, that's a me problem. That's a heart problem on my end. I need to get right with you so that I'm tapping into your strength and your power and your gifts that you've given me to go and encourage those around me. Father, let me do that today. And Father, if we flipped those cameras to ourselves, I don't know what people saw, but you do. You do. Father, maybe we need to go back to those words of Paul from Romans that you wrote for us as well. That Father, we don't need to be anxious about anything. That Father, instead we should be rejoicing about everything even in the midst of suffering. Father, we need to remind ourselves to bring everything to you. Father, we're dealing with things in our lives right now, trying to figure them out on our own, trying to make things work. And Father, we've left you out of the picture. Today is the day to bring you first and foremost, front and center, right to the center of the problem. Father, are our minds dwelling on the things of this world, not what is right or what is true or what is good or pure or holy or righteous in any way, but our mind instead is focused on the things of this world and Satan has us right where he wants us. Oh, sure, we believe, but we are defeated as a believer. (laughs) There's nothing, nothing defeated about a believer in Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love that we have of you through your son, Jesus Christ. May we hold fast to that truth this 